Hey, this is John Fanta from Fox College Hoops and Big E Shootaround. You're listening to the best podcast on the Seton Hall Pirates, Left Coast Pirates. Horton will try to go all the way. seconds to go down by two. Here's Whitehead. Guarded by Ochefu. Gets the step into the lane. Goes to the bucket. Layup. Rolls around and in. And a foul! Whitehead ties the game! Pow! From Trenton! Woo! What Trenton makes, the world takes! From just west of the Ward Place Gate in San Diego, California, he is Mike Deziri, class of 2001. I am Tom Kaharski, class of 1997, and we are Left Coast Pirates. Welcome to another episode of Left Coast Pirates. Today is Sunday, March 6th, and once again, we have John Fanta back on the show. He does play-by-play for college basketball on Fox. He is the host of Big E Shootaround, and he's a member of the Field of 68 podcast network. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for being here, John. Mike, it's great to be with you. It is the best time of the year and always love talking hoops with you, my friend. I, I apologize for not giving that over-the-top introduction. Normally, your <laughs> response is, I never get a better introduction than being on <laughs> Left Coast Pirates, so I probably probably uh, sold Tom short a little bit here, so I'm sorry about that. Uh, but, but That's okay. Tom, Tom's busy doing laundry. Nice. He remembered. I love it. I love it. All right, <laughs> so I'm going to put you on the spot right out of the gate here. I kind of talked about the three things that you're heavily involved in. I know you do many other things. You're out there kind of saying yes to everybody's podcast. You're so gracious with your time. But of the big three, Biggie Shoot Around, Calling Games on Fox, and and being on the Field of 68 podcast, which one do you enjoy the most? Well, that's like asking me about three kids. You know, you you love them all equally. And uh, I, I do. I really do love all three equally. They give me different sides of things. I don't like doing one over the other. Uh, I cut my teeth in college studio hosting and reporting. So I'd probably say the amount of reps that I've gotten there throughout the years has made, has made it such at ease doing those types of things. Calling a game, it's, some, it's a skill that I've had to grow with and have had to, to work on and understand that less is more. Keep the energy, build for the moment, do your homework. But I, I love calling games for Fox Sports, and I'm privileged to do it and, and grateful that they give me an opportunity to do so. Feel the 68, you know, that's been a totally different venture, a totally different venture. It's like a whole different dimension because then we get into the observations, if you will, the hot takes, the things like, like we'll talk about here on this pod. And it's been a lot of fun to work with some national names from Jeff Goodman to Rob Dowster to Terrence Oglesby, to Randolph Childress, who's done some great work for ESPN this year. So I, I really, really enjoyed it. And uh, I think I think what's cool about it, Mike, is I love versatility. And we talked about it on this podcast when you guys were asking me about my career. Say yes. And I appreciate the different people I work for. They've given me a shot and have allowed me to be versatile. And don't say, we only want him doing this. You know, it's got to just stay to that. I like the fact that that I could wear different hats, and I'm grateful that my bosses are able to give me those chances. Well, I, I don't think anybody would doubt the fact that you've earned your stripes or that you're earning your stripes. But when you you know take on a Fox telecast and you look at some of the partners that are sitting across from you, is it kind of surreal? Or you're, you kind of realize, like, hey, I'm here. I'm on the big stage. It is surreal. It is surreal. And, and I don't even know if it's hit me yet. And sometimes when you're young, it's one of those things where you don't know any better. Like you just show up and, and you keep going. You try to be your best version of yourself. Try to fake it till you make it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I think, I think the biggest thing is that it's just humility is, is so important in this. Nobody wants to work with a jerk. Nobody. So for me, what I say is when I'm working with a Donnie Marshall, or a Vin Parisi, 
or uh, Kim Adams on the women's side or an Andy Katz or for the first time this year, Bill Raftery. You know, Bill Raftery is a legend. When I got the call to work with him for the UConn Creighton game, I had chills run up my spine. Could not believe, could not believe uh, that that was happening. And I think what I always say is, okay, you have worked hard to get to this point. What do you do to get ready for this game with Raft? What you've been doing. What you've been doing. You know, keep, keep working hard and stay humble and be a good person. And I think that those are some of the things that I've just, I've tried to, to really hone in on because it's, it's helped me get to this point. And, and what you want to do during all this is just is stay humble because it's so important to staying measured and to taking it all in and making the most of every opportunity. No, I agree. There's no reason to reinvent the wheel. Just go out there, be yourself, give your best and kind of be true to who you are. And I kind of, that's how I enjoy doing this show. We could kind of soup it up the way the fans want to hear it or a certain uh, spectrum of the fans want to hear it, but we want to do it the way we want to do it. And I think that kind of keeps it true to the, its authenticity. And I think when a broadcaster does that in it's in your specific space, I think that comes across compared to someone who kind of maybe has your stick or their go-to phrases. I notice a difference when I watch a broadcast and that does not come across uh, in the way that you present yourself on a telecast. So great job. Well, thank you, Mike. It's all about being genuine. You know, there, there's only one you, there's only one me. I know it sounds like a, a Disney phrase, but it's true. <laughs> I mean, you can't, you can't try to be someone you're not on the air. And I try not to take myself too seriously and, and just have fun with it. And, and, you know, we're sports viewers. At the end of the day, I'm a sports fan. You know, I always laugh when I always laugh when media are like, no, no, I mean, can't have emotion. Uh, we're humans. Of course we have emotion. You know, and and for me, I'm a sports fan. So I've watched telecasts and have loved guys, not liked guys, you know what I mean? All over the place. So for me, I, I, I want to be someone who, when a viewer sits down and watches, that they enjoy. I, I get it. And I, I want to get into Biggie's basketball here, but while we're on the subject matter, I think a great example of that was Brian Custer, right? Brian Custer, very professional, great at what he does, but there were points in the Seton Hall run with Miles Powell, the Marquette game, specifically when they had that big rally, you felt him getting into the game. He became a fan in the moment as he's calling it down the middle to the best of his ability. But when Seton Hall made the run and Powell hit some shots that were out of this world, you could just tell it was, it was a different style of broadcast at that point. It was absolutely, absolutely. And I love that emotion. It's what makes sports great. All right. So like I said, let's get into things that are more basketball related relative to the big East. But before we dive into that specifically, the awards, the reflections, the upcoming tournament, I want to, I always like giving you that chance to put your alma mater's cap back on. So let's bleed blue for a few minutes. Let's just strictly dive into seat and all stuff. You know, the pirates were clearly picked to finish fifth in the preseason polls. Many thought they would contend for an ornament bid. And after this week's performance, I, I think they basically guaranteed that they will hear their name called on Selection Sunday. But in true Seton Hall fashion, they had their ups and downs. They had their shares of adversity. They had some growing pains. How would you evaluate what Kevin Willard and the squad was able to accomplish this year? I think they've had a good year. This has been a, a team that's gone through some things in which they could have broken down. In fact, I would probably say that in a different time of the Kevin Willard era, that this program might have succumbed to some of the things that happened. But Kevin Willard has totally matured and has grown into one of the better coaches in college basketball. The fact that this is a 20-win team and they lost their best guard during the season, that, that's really, that was a brutal, brutal, brutal loss to Marquette and an even more brutal loss of Bryce Aiken. Because here's the thing, Mike. When you get down the stretch in these games, and in the Big East, there's a lot of one or two possession games. You have to be able to rely on somebody to make things happen. And the Pirates were relying on Bryce Aiken to make those things happen in some of their major wins this season. They don't win the Michigan game at Michigan without Bryce Aiken. And they don't do what they do against Rutgers in Texas and, and others without Mr. Aiken. So you get into conference play here, and you have a rough start, and you're sitting there. You know, let's see, they were 3-6. and six. 
They were three and six through nine. I mean, they, yep. they, they were staring down the gutter. And to win eight of their last ten games, I could, could not have predicted that. I could not have predicted that. I did not think that at three and six that this particular team could win eight of their last ten games. And the reason why they've done it is Jared Roden has performed like an all-Big East first-team caliber player. He has been big time for this group. He makes things happen. He's taken a lot of shots, but he's earned the right over his career to do it. And I think the other thing is they defend. This is one of their best defensive teams. They're collective on that end of the floor. They, they really defend as a team, and they do it well. Their length, their top 10 in average height in college basketball. So I think overall, did the season go through a January swoon? Yes. Could that have defined what this team did? Yeah, despite the wins over Texas, Rutgers, and Michigan, it could have. You know why? You lost your best guard. But in that loss has come some gain. Kadari Richmond has grown as the season's gone on. And this team is an NCAA tournament lock and a team that I believe could win a tournament game and then anything goes from there. So a good year for them. Okay, I agree. I, I think the eight and two is surprising because in the moment, and we all become prisoners prisoners of the moment when we watch these teams as fanatics, it wasn't like it was just a, you know, up and down three and six were a couple tough losses. It was resonating with a bad taste in your mouth because of the no shows at Walsh, the lackluster performance coming out of the gate against Marquette, even they know they made it the score respectable on the back end. You just didn't know where they were going to build from there. I think that's why the eight and two was surprising. And you were just hoping that they could have put a bandaid on it until Aiken came back. But it, now it's, it's gotten to the point where we've now accepted it's been announced. He's not going to be a part of this roster going forward which is, you know, if his health is not where it needs to be, that's the right decision. You got to kind of think about long-term for the kids' overall future. So I'm okay with that. It's definitely disappointing from how this roster is constituted. But like you said, they've evolved. But knowing how they've evolved and knowing that you don't have that closer, because Bryce won those games as a closer, which they, I don't think they've replaced yet, what is the ceiling for this team without Aiken to make a deep run? Well... The ceiling starts with this week at the Big East Tournament. This is a team that, that can win the Big East Tournament. They can. They've beaten UConn once. Now, they need Kadari Richmond to be at 100% to win these games. So, hopefully, he's all right with his thumb injury. Kevin Willard seemed to believe that he'll be back for the Big East Tournament and revved up to go. The ceiling for this team, and a realistic one, is to win a first-round game, and then we'll see. I mean, I think round of 32. I, I don't think this is a Sweet 16 team. Maybe they are. And I hope I'm wrong. I think it's really hard to make the Sweet 16. And I don't know if Seton Hall, it's all matchup driven. It's all matchup driven. Like, I, I don't know if they have enough offense. If they get matched up with a great offensive team, how do they also score the ball? How are they scoring the ball over 40 minutes? Especially, Mike, when you're playing for the second time in three days, like you will at the NCAA tournament. That being said, I, I don't. I'm not going to sit here and say, yeah, yeah, they'll win a game and then that's the season. Stop watching them. It's the NCAA tournament. <laughs> I'm locked in. We're all locked in, but we're all, but we locked, wanna, we're all locked in. But we so want to be realistic, though, right? I mean, we we talked about this. Well, that'd be a good season. Here's the thing: it, it if this be. team if this team wins an NCAA tournament game, it's one of their best seasons in recent memory. I mean, I know that that people be like, wait, what? Well, they they only have one other tournament win. But there was, there was a glimmer of hope early in the season when you got to nine and one and you had the whole roster getting healthy, no COVID pauses, no injuries. For sure. That, well. they, they, there was a potential to maybe go further because I think defense travels. I think defense is consistent. And if you have a guy like Bryce Aiken, we've seen it in NCAA tournament March history in the past, i.e. Kemba Walker. One guy can get hot in a close game, put you over the top night in and night out. And that's sometimes all you need. So there was that glimmer of hope that maybe they could be a final four team. Some of the guys out there, the Seth Davis, the Jeff Goodmans were saying sneaky final four team. So you start planting that seed. And then maybe all of a sudden one win might be a little disappointing in retrospect, but I think relative to where we are now, I think that's fair, right? You take the eight and two stretch that we talked about, and there is some inconsistency even within the eight and two stretch. They have the two performances versus uh, Creighton and Xavier, but they still have, the inconsistent performance at home versus Butler, Georgetown, DePaul, kind of playing down to the level of the competition. So based on that, I'm with you. I don't see how they go or how you can have the utmost confidence that they'll go back to back. But could they? 
I think they could. They could of get to the second weekend. Could. It's all about that matchup, right? Well, yeah, of course they could. And here's the thing. I've seen DePaul now when they had won three in a row before yesterday, have seen Butler give a couple of teams some scares here. They didn't give Villanova one, but they they nearly swept Marquette. They got them once, and they have been close in a lot of other situations. My point being is that in the grind of league play, at times you're, you're just going to have to find a way to win. And the teams that find ways to win are the ones who end up making the tournament, and the ones who don't are sitting at home on Selection Sunday and aren't going anywhere, i.e. St. John's. St. John's does not. I.e. Seton Hall. I.e. Seton Hall last year, right? It's just, just that's the op- opposite yeah. spectrum, right? Same game, right? Yep. Jared Roden told me that last year they were a couple dribbles away from making the tournament, but they didn't do it the right way and they didn't make it. So there you go. You know, right, you're so- right in position and you can't you can't figure out a way to make it. So I think there's two sides to the story. Uh, I I think that Seton Hall's been on the right side of that story this year, and and the reason why is is because you have a veteran core of players. It starts with Roden. It trickles down to Miles Kale. Kale had six points, but you can't just look at a box score against Creighton. He was terrific defensively. He played every minute of the game. He didn't come out of the game. Jameer Harris plays 35 minutes, didn't shoot the basketball great, but you know what? Did enough in that win over Creighton. And, and this is a team that they don't need one guy to be great to win, which I like. Because, like, Trey Jackson is the reason why this team won at Xavier by the way they did. They blew him out. Trey Jackson didn't score a point against Creighton. So the point is, they don't need – it's not like you sit here and say, yep, they need that to happen if they're going to win. They could win in different ways. I I hate this. I feel like you're always stealing my notes before we come onto the show. Because that's my next next bullet point here is that this team has a respectable eight-man rotation. We talked about it on the episode. Respectable. Good word, right? I mean, we, we don't have we don't have the, people could debate who the alpha is, but we have a balanced eight man rotation. We even talked about it on the episode that will drop on Sunday night that it doesn't have to be the same five guys on a given night. It doesn't have to be the three big stars. You can interchange those pieces. But that being said, if there were to be an X factor of that group of eight, I keep on hearing Kadari Richmond's name drop the most. Who would you say is is that X factor? And if it is Kadari. And he needed, let's say, a Robin to his Batman. Who's that going to be? Well, hold on a second. You're going to go with Roden again. I know you're going to go back to Roden, but I mean. The, the, yeah, but wait, 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 wait a minute. So I'm going to let you in on something here because we're taping this podcast. So it's not going to go out at one o'clock Eastern time today, is it? It is not. No. no. So Jared Roden's on the all Big East first team. We were going to get to that. That that's I'll be honest. That's a little surprising to me. I was we're going to that was going to be my next segment as we transition to Biggie's talk. But I'm a little surprised by that. I thought Jared was more of a second team uh, performer this year. To be honest. Well, here's what the coaches look at. The coaches look at a guy who's averaging over 16 points a game and seven rebounds a game on a winning team, and so then they sit here and say, "Here's here's the thing. Everybody's used to Miles Powell and Sandro Mamu Kelashvili." Jared Roden's not that. Absolutely not. That's fair. But he's still a really, he's a really good player. Very good player. I just, I thought Jared had some numbers in terms of his efficiency, in terms of the volume of shots that he took. I mean, there were points where, you know, he went through stretches where he's shooting under 40% on the season from the floor, you know, in the low 30s from three point range. His numbers don't pop. Winning should is really should matter, right? You normally see if it's up for grabs for who the Big East player of the year is going to be. Normally the guy on the winning team makes a difference. So I'm not surprised that they gave him the nod for first team because his team is going to make the tournament. But I thought if you try to stack him up against some of these other guys, and I had that last spot open, we're going to get to that. I thought it was debatable who that last guy would be on that first team, all Big East. Hey, if Jared gets it, good for him. Or obviously he has. But I, I think it was debatable per se. And when yeah, he goes, and I, my, I my point is going to be when he gets into his inefficient six of 17 type performance, sometimes the team sits around and ball watches. I'd love to see the offense uh, initiate through Kadari, whether it's in the post, whether it's him breaking down the defense, or even Harris has been more effective in pick and roll and watch Jared get the ball in the flow of the game. I, I compared him to Trayvon Blewett in the past where it's kind of, you can still have your fingerprints all over the game, but it doesn't have to be the, the ball in your hands every time down the floor. 
That's all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, good. It's a good point. And Kadari Richmond's the most important piece because he's the point guard, and you got to be able to make things happen. And he did in certain spots this season when they needed him to. In the win over DePaul, he delivered that game-winning dime. In the win over um, UConn, he was absolutely outstanding. He was he was phenomenal. You know, even in a game against Georgetown, which got a little scary, he had what? What do you have? Ten assists. Yes, so look, there's no question that he's come up. Kadari Richmond has been great in certain spots. Second half against Xavier last weekend, he was terrific. He, they need him. They need him because they're they're down point guards. They need him to be the guy. And I think he's developed in season. But you're asking me for an X factor, so I'm removing Richmond and Road. Okay, fair enough. Like I, I'll, I'll play along. Go ahead. X factor to me is Tyree Samuel because he has to give you something. If he's giving you nothing, he's too talented, Mike, to not give this team anything. Like his range, his versatility, his ability to run off a screen, he gives them a different dimension on the offensive end of the floor. And that's evidenced by his 13-point performance against Creighton, five and nine from the floor. I thought he was really good uh, on on that particular afternoon. But for me, if you look at if you look at a guy that can shoot from the perimeter, okay and that can make things happen in, in the ball screen coverage. And that's a guy that's, what, six foot ten. He's too talented to not give them something on the offensive end of the floor. So Tyree Samuel is the guy who I would select as an X factor. Could we take it one step further and maybe just make it a more collective general, like Seton Hall's front court, based on this, you know, balance of the rotation, they got to maybe get like somewhere between a 25 and 15 from their front court. On a I agree. Night. Right. We I have, agree. We have, so. we have a lot of no shows sometimes where guys get taken out of their element. Like you said, in this last game, nothing from Trey, nothing from Oyagu, but you had Yetna and Samuel step up. As long as you're getting something from the front court, the front court can't be neutralized in an NCAA tournament game. Cause you're going to, you're going to come across some bigger, bigger front lines from the other power five schools. You just are. And, and that's Bingo. where the matchup could cause a problem. Bingo. So Samuel and Yetna against Creighton gave him 24 and 16. There's your point getting proven. So, and I did not research that ahead of time. That was just on the fly for the record. All right. Anyway, uh, Big East, <laughs> let's transition into Big East talk. We'll get to the awards, but I want to kind of go back to your experience. It's been such a great year. You've been able to follow the Big East on the mic for the play-by-play, but you've also done it behind the scenes for the Big East shooting around. I'm going to give you a, a couple more questions that are probably unfair. Name the best game that you got to witness this year in the Big East. Well, that I got to witness Providence and Xavier in the triple overtime game at the Dunkin' Donuts Center was an absolutely incredible basketball game. That was unreal. I mean, we're in double overtime. It looks like Providence is going to win, and Paul Scruggs drains a three from the left wing. Providence doesn't foul up three. Why? I don't know. But he drains a three at the buzzer. The roof is leaking, causing a half-hour delay. It was a bonkers night. The game went three and a half hours. And it went to triple overtime. So that was the best game I witnessed this year. Right, that's fair. I was, I, I would, I was seeing the whole play that night. If and I'm not mistaken, I kept on flipping back to watch that Providence game more than I was watching the Seton Hall. I think that was Seton Hall Butler, if I'm not mistaken, on that. Yeah, you're right. And, and the, and the foul, I'm sitting there trying to teach my nine year old son why you need to foul in that situation. Father to foul. some moments. Why are we not fouling up three with, with seconds to play? Oh, geez. That's right. That's All right. right. It uh, was wild. Greatest game, but then give me the greatest atmosphere. Villanova and UConn in Hartford at the XL Center the night before the triple overtime game was an absolutely insane, electrifying atmosphere. Hartford was rocking. You had over 18,000 people. It was deafening inside that arena. Dan Hurley gets ejected in the first half, so that made for the atmosphere because all of a sudden it felt like the 80s or 90s with the hostility of the crowd. They were pissed off that their coach had been ejected by James Breeding. They were very upset. And it led to some antics. It led to some insanity. It was a blast to be in the building for that game. And when, Mike, when does Villanova lose a four-point lead in the final minutes? And not get the That never happens. And not get the 50-50 calls. How about that? And not get the 50-50 balls. I mean, Colin Gillespie gets trapped by two defenders and they call jump ball. I've never seen Colin Gillespie get in a jump ball situation. It was wild. 
So a lot of Seton Hall fans like to debate and say that the Seton Hall-Villanova rivalry is the marquee rivalry in the Big East. But did we see a preview of where the league is going to be headed going forward? Is, is UConn-Villanova going to be the stage where we kind of see that big, you know, where everything kind of crescendos down onto the Big East and, and look at those two teams as the marquee teams in the future? Was this a preview? Potentially it was. I mean, Connecticut's got some things that they need to do first. You know, the reason why Seton Hall Villanova became what it has is Seton Hall won the Big East from them. They won the Big East tournament. Connecticut's got to win the Big East tournament for it to become that. Right, and they're sure. probably going pro- to – I mean, UConn has not – like, UConn's done well, but they finished third in the league. They have more to do. They're the sexy team. They're the sexy team. They're the compelling team. Um, and they should be. They're a big brand. But, Mike, if you ask me this question a week later, I'd have a better answer for you. Because if they bow out in the Big East semifinals. They might not even get there. They might not even get there. We might have something to say about that. Bingo. All right. All right, Bingo. Talk- you know what I mean? Yeah, so that's I, know, why I, know, I hear you. I hear you. I'm not giving up the throne of Seton Hall Villanova right now. Not right now. All right. Speaking of giving up the throne, obviously with Providence winning the Big East regular season title, I think as we head into the award segment here, coach of the year is clearly going to go to Ed Cooley uh, as they were picked to finish seventh in the preseason. It's kind of like a no brainer. If you had to give out an award for second place, who would it be and why? I'd give it to Greg McDermott still because Creighton is the only team in the country that has had three freshmen averaging over 24 minutes per game. He's dealt with injuries. He's dealt with a lot of adversity this season. They were a team that was picked to finish eighth in this conference. They lost their top six players. They lost their top six players while everybody else was bringing everybody back because of the COVID year. And they're likely going to be a tournament team. I would have never thought that. If you look at their roster makeup, and you saw it in the game yesterday, like, it's not like they're loaded with firepower. They're not. And yet... They're a team that's clinched a 20-win season. I, I'm amazed that, that Creighton's done what they have considering the circumstances. You lose your point guard and you beat Connecticut. You know, like that's, that's a statement win. And they lost yesterday. Seton Hall's got their number. There's something about that matchup this particular year where Seton Hall's got their number. I think part of it is Creighton's having a lot of trouble scoring. And Seton Hall defensively makes it even tougher on you. So I would go with Greg McDermott. I would have gone with McDermott as well, but could there have been an argument for Shaka Smart? There could have been, but they have shown uh, some vulnerabilities here over the last couple of weeks. They have not closed strong, and so that's why I don't go with Shaka. Okay. All right, player of the year. I don't, you don't have to give anything away, even, what, even though this is probably going to drop after the awards are announced, but in the preseason, the conference player of the year was picked to be Colin Gillespie. And he actually, I thought he had a pretty good year, 16 and a half points four rebounds, three assists. His splits from the field were just phenomenal. 45% uh, field goal percentage, 90% free throw shooting, 42% from three. In the NBA, he was just a couple percentage points off from like that golden 50, 40, 90 that you never see. I don't think it's been done a handful of times. And he almost uh, eclipsed those numbers here in his senior season or his, his COVID season. Has he done enough to win the award outright in your opinion? Yes, he has. I, I, I think he has done enough to win the award outright. And part of it, Mike, is that he's a big game player. So against Providence at the Dunkin' Donuts Center, Big East game of the year, you've got a full house, wild atmosphere. He was a cold-blooded killer in that win with 33 points. And he earned every one of those, it, hitting big-time shots. He doesn't turn the ball over. He doesn't make mistakes. He does what he needs to do for his team to win. Are there other candidates? Yes. Adama Sanogo is a candidate at UConn, but being a post player, you rely on others around you to make things happen. It's just, it's just, that's just how it works. Julian Champagne is a great scorer, but he plays on a losing basketball team. Justin Lewis has had a good year, but is he more valuable than Gillespie? Probably not. Colin Gillespie should be Big East player of the year already kind of beat me to my next point. You're already kind of giving out some of the other guys that should be on the first team. So Justin Lewis, Julian Champagne, Adama Sonogo. I'd even put Jared Bynum in the year that he's had for Providence in that first all big East 
classification. That gives me four more guys, but the Big East goes with the player of the year and five additional guys. Do you agree with my four? And who else would be your fifth inclusion or your last inclusion on the All Big East first team? Yeah, so when I look at, at the Big East, I would end up on this one differing a little bit. So I think Jared Bynum has played like a first-team guy for the last month. Okay. I would say on the year, what's the constant for the number one team in the Big East this season? Well, the constant is the big man in the middle. So I would give a lean towards Nate Watson for first team and Bynum for second team. I think Bynum's come on, but I would vote Watson just because, Mike, God, is he a load. And how many big-time buckets has he come up with late in games for this team? He has, but, but the ball goes through Bynum, does it not? Well, it did. It has recently, but it didn't early in the year. Okay, okay. I mean, let, let's, let's do it for the sake of doing it here. Let's, let's do it for the sake of doing it because I think this is really important for people to understand. So coaches vote. Coaches vote on these awards. Okay, it's not decided upon by some random person. Coaches vote on these awards, and Jared Bynum has averaged 12.9 points per game. Correct. Okay, so he's not one of the leading scorers in the conference. If you look at, like, his first month and a half, okay, let me give you his point totals for a moment. 8, 9, 4, 3, 15 against Northwestern, 2, 3, 9, 14, 12, 9 again. You know, like – He's come on over the last month, but it's for a full season. And the other thing is, he missed almost a month. He missed almost a month of the year with an injury. So it's hard. It's it's hard to pin him on the first team because of that. Uh, and Durham, Al Durham has meant just so oh, yeah. much. Well, the, the, the whole team has different contributors that play their role. I totally get it. But his last eight games, he's averaging over 20 points per game. He's shooting better than 53% from three-point range. I, I don't know, John. I mean, I feel like he's now the uh, the, stir, the straw that stirs the drink. And but, with, but with you those know offensive numbers, he's still dishing out five assists per game during that stretch. I mean, this no, no, was no. the – right? I'm not – here's the thing. I agree with you. But these coaches sit in their offices and, and Mike, their opinions on a player are formed by the end of December. Actually, that's not right because Isaiah Whitehead makes his run during the back half of his sophomore season yeah. too, right? I mean, yeah, remember when about... people thought? Remember when we thought he should have been Player of the Year? Right, right. Was he? Was... No, he was not. No, he was not. But it was debatable. So, I mean, I think Bynum should be on the first team. I'm, I'm going based on your your feedback here that he probably did not get the nod. But okay, uh, who else would be on there besides Nate Watson? That still gives me uh, Watson, Sonogo, Champagny, Lewis. Who would be your last spot? Would you put Jared Roden? as your final spot on the first team yourself. Yeah, I would put Roden on there. I, I still think that he has been really, really important. He's had a terrific overall year in terms of his ability to come up big when his team needs him. I don't think he's had an efficient year offensively, but you know what? He's willed his team. And there's something to be said about willing your team to wins. So I look at Jared Roden and, and I think that that he's a guy that's really, really stepped up to the plate and, and made things happen for this Seton Hall club when they needed him to. In the midst of all the injuries that Seton Hall's had, Roden's been out there, and he's figured out ways to lead them. They've oh, had ups, they've had downs beyond him, but he's found ways to, to be pretty good. It's not for lack of effort. We, we can pick on Jared's game and, and go into deficiencies or do doing it on a weekly microcosm look at Seton Hall's play, but it's not for lack of effort. I say that on every episode. You could be 6 of 17, but he's giving you 110% on that 6 of 17 on both ends of the floor. All right. Yep. Freshman of the year. To me, I think it's a no-brainer. I think it's Ryan Nebhart, even though the injury. Do you agree? I think it's Ryan Nebhart. He's been the best freshman in the Big East, so I'm in total agreement there. Defensive player of the year, kind of a little toss-up here. Does Posh repeat? He did lead the league in steals again. You got Obiagu, who had 3.1 blocks per game, or maybe you go in a different direction and go with more of a lockdown defender, a Justin Manaya, Daryl Morsel, uh, guys that basically try to take the other best player out of the game for Providence and Marquette, respectively. Where do you go so here? For, for the record, I don't know who won these awards. I just okay. I know the all-conference teams at, at the moment. Um, here's the thing. I will 
when I look at the Big East Defensive Player of the Year. I think the coaches are probably leaning with Posh Alexander. I myself, Mike, think that Justin Manaya has been the best lockdown defender in the conference. So I'm going to go with Justin Manaya because I, I he has taken on the toughest assignment of an opposing team and has made it his assignment to say, I am not going to let you be the best player on the floor. And he's won. He's won every assignment. So I, I love giving it to the lockdown defender that takes on a team's alpha. So I'm going to go with Manaya. I got to stop agreeing with you. I, I agree. I think it should be Manaya too. It's not just about a sexy stat. It's how you impact the overall game. I think when Romaro Gill won the award for Seton Hall a couple of years back, yes, it was the gaudy block numbers, but he was changing the way the game was played on the court when teams went up against Seton Hall. They were in awe. They, they didn't know how to adjust their game plan. When a player's best or team's best scorer is taken out of his element, that throws a team for a loop. And Manaya's done that night in and night out. So I'm, I'm on the same page with you on, on there. How about most improved? You know, to me, if I feel like this award should go to a big guy. I'll throw out a few choices. You got Ryan Kalkbrenner from Creighton. You got Dixon and Slater out at Villanova. You got David Jones at DePaul. Or am I just kind of overthinking this? And it's either Adama Sonogo or Justin Lewis from taking their games to where they were last year and jumping them to first team all Big East caliber. Yeah, so I myself think that Eric Dixon is the most improved player in the Big East because last year I considered him pretty much a non-factor for Villanova, and now he's turned into a really reliable five-man in the Big East Conference, and that's hard to do. So I think Dixon's taking the leap. That's where my vote lies because when you look at his role and some key wins, he's been huge. He took it to Adama Sonogo and UConn earlier this year at Wells Fargo. He's been fairly consistent, so I would go with – with Dixon, I think the coaches might vote for Lewis because it is point blank. Justin Lewis was an okay player last year. He's a great player now, and he's become a really, really good scorer. So you could go with Lewis. You know, these awards are tough to decide, but they should be. That's what a good conference has. Um, I just think I kind of still lean with Dixon because, Mike, I, I got to be honest with you, I thought Lewis could be this good, and maybe that's me – penalizing Lewis now unfairly expectations. I didn't right? know. I didn't know if Dixon, I didn't know if Dixon could be anything. I didn't know if Dixon was really going to be in the rotation. To the Bingo. Was, right. Yeah. I'm, I'm with yeah, you. exactly. Exactly. All right. Uh, speaking of not being able to predict things, let's, let's transition to the Big East tournament. Right. I, I think it's as wide open as we've ever seen, but we do have some early storylines as we kick off Wednesday night. Let's start with the recent struggles of Xavier in February and then their opening matchup versus Butler. Has that become a must-win game to get into the tournament? So based on what I understand, uh, it is not a must-win game for Xavier, which is probably going to surprise people. But from my understanding, Xavier is still healthy enough in the field, meaning it might be a 10 or 11, but even if they lost this game, the committee I don't think is moving them out. Having said this, it's a must-win game to feel comfortable enough you know, like you don't want to risk it. You don't want to lose the game and then be sweating. No, I don't so want to put my fate into someone else's hands at all. I want to control my own destiny here, right? Right. So it's a gotta have it game. Okay. So you don't <laughs> or, you don't think they need to go one beyond that? They don't need to come out and knock off a Providence uh, in a one eight game. No, okay. no, I don't because they built off enough capital, and at the end of the day, their net is thirty fifth. Their net's thirty five. Guess what? Seton Hall's 31. That's correct. They're in the same, they're in the same bucket. Uh, the Big East is at a very strong net representation. They're kind of like the Big 12 and the Big 10 from the, the, that regard. So I'm, I'm with you on that as well. All right. Teams ranked 6 through 11 playing the opening day Wednesday. Pick the team that could make a run to the final. Oh, there's no question about it. I mean, that's, that's the easiest question you've asked me. It's the Seton Hall Pirates. I, I got to give you a softball for the fans once in a while, John. Come on. That's right. Tom sure as hell wouldn't throw it in. I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Seton Hall uh, because again, defensively they're locked in. They know their scout. Well, they play at the garden and they play very well at that building for whatever reason, miles scales, like a different player at Madison square garden. I can't describe it, but on the offensive end, on the offensive end, he is. And then I, I think that with the way Richmond has come on, if Kadari Richmond, 
is engaged and making things happen, then this team can make a real run because they have the wing players. So, look, I, I think that this is a club that, that can make a run to the championship game. They've beaten UConn once. They gave UConn a test at Gamble Pavilion. It just wasn't their night. Um, but, look, it's going to be a tough path. But the team outside the top five that could do it, yeah, I would say it's Seton Hall. Okay. That's fair. Uh, I would I would have even said maybe Xavier because I think their path's a little easier potentially. It is easier. Right? It is easier. It is easier, but they they still have been in a bad way. And they yep. got and they got to they got to right the ship. The win against Georgetown to me does not do it alone. I'm with you. Okay. Uh, which rematch would you like to see most in in this tournament? Hmm. Okay. Which rematch would I like to see it most? Does, in this it doesn't tournament? have to be on Saturday. Just at any point in the tournament, which rematch would you like to see? Yeah, I'd like to see it on Saturday, and I'd like to see Providence play Connecticut. Okay. Because I think I think the level of hostility inside Madison Square Garden will be something unlike anyone's ever seen. The two fan bases hate each other, and the two teams do not like each other, and they did not get a rescheduled game on the calendar, so this would be like that. Providence won at UConn. So what happens if we get a rematch? There was no Sunogo in that matchup, if I'm not mistaken, though, correct? That is correct. Okay. All right. But like I've said all year, they're trying to win the game, too. And all throughout the season, he didn't play in that game. They didn't play in that game. He didn't play in that game. They didn't play in that game. Every game. I mean, either somebody's hurt or somebody's got COVID, you know, for a period of time. Look, Seton Hall-Providence rematch would be interesting, wouldn't it be? If we got it, if we somehow got it, it would be because I think the Pirates are, remember what happened in Providence. Which is why I was hoping they would have gotten that five. So you got a little help. Had things play out the right way. Got uh, three, man. I'm with you. Not, I, was, I, was, I was rooting hard for UConn as a Seton Hall fan the other night, but it just didn't work out. I was kind of <laughs> shocked, to be honest. I, after did you feel the way, dirty doing that? Did it you did, feel it like- did, but you, you got you got to root for what your best interest is at heart, and that's, that, that's what you bleed blue for. So once in a while, you got to turn to the dark side. And I'll be honest, I was, I was shocked after the performance that Creighton put up the first game without Nebhart, that they bounced back as strong as they did uh, in holding, holding their home court in a, in a big game for them against UConn. I, I was really surprised. Yeah, no question about it. No All question. right, so who do you like to cut down the nets at MSG on Saturday night? Oh, boy. Um, because they have the easiest path, I'm going to go with Providence. I think that's going to be an out there pick. I guarantee you most people are probably not going to go that route. Yeah, I, I would probably say so too. And I agree with you, but Xavier's been so inconsistent. And I think Providence will be re-engaged at the garden. They'll also have their crowd on their side at the garden. Xavier will not. I just, I, I have, tr- I have trust issues with Xavier. Mike, we got to see if Xavier will beat Butler. And then, and then I think they're the better team in terms of experience versus whether it's Creighton, whether it's Marquette. I'm with you. I think they should be there on Saturday. And they probably have the easier path to get there when you're making a prediction. And then you're right. It could be anybody between Seton Hall, UConn, and Villanova to come out of that you know, other half of the bracket. So how do you make a prediction that someone's going all the way? I'm, okay. right. I, I get the logic. I get the logic. But I still think most people are probably going to lean towards a UConn-Villanova uh, championship. Oh, of course. Oh, they're all going to lean Villanova. But right. most 70% of the people making picks are going to say Villanova. Hey, look, when you, you got to knock the king off, right? It's just, it's easy to go. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So Tom's not here. He hasn't been here the entire show, but he normally would have given me slack for this next segment. I'm not going to dive into it as much as we've done in the past, but I want to do at least one blind resume segment with you. Uh, I think the bubble's super weak. So if I'm sitting there going through the bubble, to me, I think it's pretty clear cut who's in and who's, who's not for the most part, but I do want to give you one blind resume. The net's been, you know, under judgment and criticism, like, like any metrics is when it comes to selection Sunday, but play along one blind resume for you. Team number one, net 34, 16 and 13 overall, four and nine quad one, seven and 12 in quads one and two. And they only have one bad quad three loss. Their strength of schedule is nine overall in the country and their at-a-conference schedule was ranked 29th. That's team okay. one. Team two, I think it's kind of obvious by team two, but the net is 76, 
They are 17 and 12 overall heading into Sunday, six and five in quad ones, nine and nine in quads one and two. They have three quad three and four losses combined. They have a strength of schedule of 33, but an out of conference schedule strength of 292. Who do you like out of teams one and two? And as we always get to tease you, can you tell me who teams one and two are? You always nailed it in the past. Because team one does not have major blemishes, I'm going to go with team one. And I believe you said they had a net ranking of 34. That's correct. I don't know necessarily. It's team one, Michigan. Team one is Michigan. Team one's Michigan. And team two, a net of 77? 76. 76 currently as of today. Going into Sunday's matchups. A net of 76. I don't know who it is. Who is it? So Rutgers improved from their low 80s into 76 the other day. So they're getting into that. I'm on the fringe range. I, I, I don't know what the score is at the moment as we tape this. I know they're going head to head right now at home with Penn State. We can kind of take a quick glance and they're up by six with a couple minutes to go in the first half. I think if Rutgers gets to 12 conference wins, they're in kind of hard to ignore their six big quad one wins that they have. But when you put that resume side by side with Michigan and they did split head to head, it's, it's a, it's an interesting one. Here's a team that is not going to be your traditional four games over 500 overall versus a team that did nothing in their non-conference essentially scheduled a very soft non-conference and also did not deliver on that comp on that non-conference slate. Which one are you going to reward? Right. I mean, you have to schedule people and Michigan did schedule people. Rutgers did not. Having said this, uh, I've actually leaned when I'm not blind <laughs> with Rutgers as of late, but it's not as of late. It's the full body of work. So that kind of proves my point of being wrong and kind of the, the other side of, of look like this is how this works this time of year. I think if Rutgers beats Penn State, wins a Big Ten tournament game, over a quality Big Ten team, but it would be hard. But they won't, though. If they win today, they're probably somewhere in the five or six range, and they're either going to get a bye, or if they play that six, if they're the six seed, they're going to get one of the bottom feeders. So that first win is not going to be a quality win. Yeah, so I, I said they beat a quality team in the Big Ten. Not, they got so, to win maybe two or three more games consecutively, counting today? Oh, yeah, probably. Okay. That's a, I, I thought they might be in at 12 and 8 just with the win today. And a, I don't know. I mean, I, they – Maybe I'll be wrong, and I think they're destined for Dayton okay. if they do make it. I think they're destined for Dayton. So I'm saying to get out of Dayton, they got to win three more games. Okay. And, and once again, I think at least teams like Rutgers or Michigan, they're trying to play themselves off to the bubble in a positive way, where most teams have actually played themselves off the bubble, obviously, to me, in the wrong direction. you got teams like Oregon, Indiana, BYU lost in the quarterfinals uh, in their, their conference tournament just last night. I mean, I don't really see where there's much other debate on the bubble. I'll give you one more that's kind of a toss-up. If you take Memphis and SMU, Memphis clearly has the better numbers on paper versus SMU, but SMU has beat them head-to-head. And they're both kind of on the fringe for like that last, last spot to get in. You go overall body of work, or if it was close, a team that beats you twice. Apparently the wins head-to-head don't matter as much to the committee as the whole body of work. I, I'm not a fan of that because it diminishes the regular season product. So I would take SMU, wouldn't you? I would. And by right now, Memphis, believe this or not, is up by 22 heading into the half against Houston. That'll be their second time that they've knocked off Houston. So let's say they meet in the semifinals of their conference tournament and SMU knocks them off for a third time. But Memphis now has two wins against Houston under their belt. That's a tough one. It is very tough. It's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out. But believe it or not, I got nothing else in terms of bubble talk this year. I think the bubble All right. is really weak. I mean, don't you agree? Yeah, I, I do. I think that the bubble is soft. I think it's going to be – I think we could see some bid stealers. Hey, things can change between now and then. Watch. There's going to be a situation where, we, where we're going to be debating on the cut line who makes and who doesn't. It happens every year. I, right. I don't know if it's as deep as others, but I think there's going to be a debate. Yep. So I don't think Seton Hall, we've said this before, they don't have to worry about it. They're in, but now it's a debate as to where they fall. Everything's been talk about trying to get off the 8-9 seed line. I thought yesterday was a huge step into kind of trending towards the 7 line, right? Yeah, I think Seton Hall with that win over Creighton 
should get on the seven line of latest projections. You got to be Georgetown to avoid scaling anything back. But I don't think there's any harm in losing to a UConn on a neutral floor at all. So I think they're going to be involved in a 7-10 game. That's my new take on the Pirates. All right, John, I know you're, you're pressed for time. I'll give you one last summation here. Wrap it up for the Big East in general. How many get in and how well do they do in the tournament? Do we see somebody carry the banner all the way to the Final Four this year? I think seven teams make the NCAA tournament. I don't have the feeling that there's a Final Four team, but I think three teams make the Sweet 16. I think Villanova's going to make it. One of UConn or Providence, if not both, make it. But I could see a wild card team making the Sweet 16 out of the Big East this year. I think there's three teams out of the conference to make it. John, as always, we thank you for your time. We thank you for your energy and your knowledge. And you're always welcome back for future episodes. Sorry we didn't get you on anytime sooner. I think the last time we had you on was to kick off the preview last year. So it's, it's been quite some time in between. We'll make sure to get you back sooner next time. Mike, thanks so much for having me. It's always good to join you. And I, I hope Tom used Tide. <laughs> John Fant, everybody. Thanks for joining another episode of Left Coast Pirates. Be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your other favorite listening platforms. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter with our handle at L Coast Pirates. And don't miss out on any of our previous episodes that include interviews with Seton Hall legends, Danny Calandrillo, Mark Bryant, Andrew Gaze, Shaheen Holloway, and many others. For Tom Gaharski, I'm Mike Desiri, and you've been listening to Left Coast Pirates. (laughs) 